that, you know, they were really teachers of the doctrine of healing. She's more of an exhorter uh, of healing that, you know, healing is for us today. God wants us to be healed. And so it's slightly different flavor. It's nothing wrong with it. It's just slightly different flavor of the anointing that's upon her life. So the chapters will go a little quicker, probably. Uh, there'll be fewer questions because, you know, she'll spend an entire chapter just talking about a story or something and not so much about uh, line upon line um, from the word of God. And so um, and so all of that's fine. It just uh, uh, you'll notice that it has a little different uh, tempo to it. Um, and, uh, and it's an easy read because the stories are good stories, testimonies of things that she had seen uh, in her ministry. So I just wanted to, to, um, to open opening up. Um, in fact, we'll open up a prayer and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, Dr. Yeomans herself. So uh, let's pray and thank God for his word. So, Father, we thank you uh, for the word of God today. Father, we thank you that you have granted revelation, insight and wisdom uh, into the men and women who served you upon this earth. And Father, they, they were kind enough to record those revelations that you gave to them uh, for our benefit. So, Father, we don't take it lightly. We thank you that you granted them uh, wisdom and revelation uh, to us uh, for our benefit. And we thank you for that, Father. And we give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so before we, we get to that, I'm going to read a scripture here. Uh, it's in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, of course, I've got to find it here, too, but uh, it's in... Um, Yeah, in Ephesians chapter 3. So in Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 1 here. It says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. So he made the mystery known to Paul. He did not make it to the Ephesians that he wrote this book to, he wrote it to Paul, and Paul delivered the revelation to the Ephesians. Uh, and he said, uh, Where, whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So, uh, you know, one of the, one of the uh, criticisms we, we had received here in the ministry about healing school is that we use people's books. And I believe we're doing that because by the direction of the Holy Ghost, so I don't really care what anybody thinks. But it's also helpful to understand about how God sets things up. So the Lord revealed to Paul here that there are things that he knows that he is now delivering to the people at Ephesus. And so unless the people at Ephesus hear what Paul is going to say, they may never get that revelation, right? If, if the Lord gave that revelation to Paul... And then Paul is supposed to deliver to a, a group of people, but that group of people refuse to listen to him. They may never, they may never get it because if, he, if the will of God was to give it to Paul and Paul, and then Paul was supposed to give it to somebody else, then that's the way the Lord set it up. And, and in fact, he, he says that in verse five, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. So uh, he's not talking about just the Old Testament because there were no apostles in the Old Testament. So there are revelations that he has revealed to his holy apostles and prophets that their job is then to take that revelation and to disseminate it into the body of Christ. And are there apostles in the body of Christ today? There are. Are there apostles in the body of Christ today? There are. 
Uh, and so what will the Lord do for those apostles and prophets that are in the body of Christ today? He will grant them revelation of the word of God. So it's not new revelation. It's, it's always been in the, in the word of God. But he'll grant them revelation that it's their job then to then go take that and to disseminate that into the body of Christ. That doesn't mean all revelation is only, only going to come through the fivefold ministry gifts. But some revelation is going to come through the apostles and prophets. Uh, and then, uh, then those apostles and prophets will then deliver that to the body of Christ. So they may do that in spoken word. They may do that in written word. But however they choose to do that, it's then our responsibility to receive that revelation and then to, to add it to our lives. Uh, and so if you say, well, we should never read what somebody else has written, then we're saying, well, God is wrong in that he will only deliver certain revelations to people uh, and not reveal everything to me. Because you're saying then, uh, if you're saying that we should not read books that other people have written, then you're saying God will deliver unto me all the revelation that I need, and he will not deliver that to anybody else other than me. Well, is that what the Bible says? No, he says he's, he's specifically limited here to apostles and prophets. And so even in that, you know, we all get revelation to some extent. But there are certain revelations that God is going to bring through the apostles and prophets. Uh, and that's the order that's the order in the word of God. And unless we choose to yield to them, you know, ho whole moves of God have come about because an apostle or prophet uh, uh, came on the scene. And of course, you know, I think one of the greatest examples is Brother Hagin because he stood in the office of the prophet and the teacher uh, in which gave him a, a good mix of the ability then to take revelation but then also put it together that made it easy to to understand and easy to apply to your life uh, and so uh, in fact in, in in chapter 2 in verse 20 it says that uh, uh, and and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets uh, so there is a foundation that the lord has set in the body of christ based upon apostles and prophets so it's not just the the apostles that wrote the scripture because um there were 25, at least 25 named apostles in the, in the New Testament. Uh, and so it's not just the few that wrote the, the scriptures. It's also, uh, it's also uh, any prophet and uh, apostle that's alive today, the Lord may get, give unto them revelation. Now, we know that any apostle and prophet that's alive today, and really anybody that's alive today in the body of Christ, can receive revelation, but it's never going to be beyond the word of God. No one's ever going to say, well, I have new revelation that the Lord has never revealed to the world today. Well, that can't be so because everything has to be constrained to the word of God. So if you come up and say, well, you know, uh, uh, there was Jesus, but there was also Jesus, his step cousin, you know, who was also a, a uh, an apostle of the lamb or something crazy like that. Right. Uh, that Jesus was really married or, you know, just some dumb revelation like that that people come up with on a regular basis. Uh, I mean, the entire Book of Mormon you know, is somebody said, we've got another revelation, right? It sits next to the Bible. No, there is no revelation that sits next to the Bible. All revelation has sit within the Bible, right? And so there is no new revelation. If an angel appears to you and writes things on tablets of gold, it's all a lie, right? Uh, it doesn't matter what, what you say or, or how it appears. It's still a lie. So, all, so uh, all of that to be said is, you know, in my heart, I think it's good and appropriate and helpful for us to go and see the revelation that God has given to other people and to add, you know, uh, like anything, we eat the hay and we leave the sticks, right? Most of, since we, since I get to pick them, you know, most of these books are mostly hay and very little sticks, right? Uh, and so, 
I'm sure there's a lot of books out there that are mostly sticks and probably no hay, right? Uh, God doesn't heal. God doesn't want to heal you. Know? In fact, I've got one in my library that's, uh, it's all sticks, you know. Uh, and, and um, you know, and they, re, they, stood, they started from the, from the verse there about how Paul left Troph- Trophimus sick at Miletum and, uh, and how because Paul left him sick, therefore God may leave you sick. Well, that's all sticks right there, right? There is no hay to, to take in that at all, right? Uh, and so there is a little bit of hay in between all the sticks, right? You have to dig a little bit for it. But uh, uh, so, so, uh, so I'm okay with it, amen? And I think the Bible is okay with it. I think I've got Bible for it that, uh, that shows us because, I mean, it just, it just makes walking around sense that it's perfectly fine to read what other people write. But sometimes people come up with dumb doctrines that don't make any sense because they want to have, uh, well, the reason they do that is because there's such a drive and a need to come up with new, uh, newfangled ideas so that you can get a following. And so if you get, stand up and start preaching against people writing books, you know, that's unusual. And people may pay attention to you because now you've got this newfangled doctrine that you shouldn't read books, which doesn't make any sense because you want people to hear your new doctrine that you can't write books, which is about people writing about the revelation the doctrine they got. You know, it's, it's just dumb, right? I mean, it's, it doesn't fit, right? Because stupidity never can be addressed uh, by faith. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, so anyway, it's, uh, uh, I'm fine with it. Uh, the Lord's fine with it. The Bible is fine with it, so uh, all is well, amen? Uh, and so if anybody says something to you about it, just, uh, uh, just say, uh, bless your heart, right? <laughs> uh, and so uh, bless them, Lord, right? So, uh, so this book uh, is uh, called His Healing Power by Lillian B. Yeomans. And so I'm just going to give you just a little bit of background uh, biography about her because uh, a lot of people don't know about her. You know, if you're in faith circles, you know, you generally know about their brother Hagen, you know, Lester Summerall and people like that. And, and brother Summerall's got a book on healing. We may choose to do that one of these days. It's kind of a workbook similar to brother Hagen's. Uh, and, and I haven't actually looked at it much recently, uh, but the Lord used uh, doc, Dr. Summerall a lot in the area of uh, deliverance from demonic forces uh, and some spectacular, you know, uh, in fact, there's one story he was in the Philippines driving down the road listening to the radio uh, and somebody got on the radio and said hey uh, we've got this girl in prison and we think she's demon possessed if anybody could help please come and help uh, and so uh, you know he's driving around the Lord said you go over to that prison and cast those devils out of that girl uh, and so he shows up you know you know just hey I'm Dr. Summerall I'm here to cast the devil out you know and he gets there and and uh, the girl starts you know cussing at him and telling him, you know, all these things about his mama and, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and he cast the devil out of her, you know, got her delivered, you know, of course, started revival because of that, too. And and, um, uh, you know, you get you gets a lot of attention. You cast, a, you know, and there may have been more than one devil in that in that girl. Uh, but he just uh, there was a boldness about uh, uh, Lester Summerall and um, that uh, uh, is is good for us to watch. Amen. Uh, and uh, boldness is great, but you still have to temper it with the love of God, right? Uh, he was great in boldness. He might could have adjusted his love of God up a notch or two. I don't know, you know, but uh, <laughs> and so again, we eat the hay and leave the sticks. Amen. Nothing we say is intended to, to uh, disparage or to, to malign anybody. You know, it, it's uh, Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. So if I'm not following the Lord in something I said or do, don't follow that. Right. And so that's perfectly fine. So uh, uh, Lillian B. Yeomans was... Uh, uh, she came from an educated family.
family, her, I think both of her parents were uh, doctors, and um, uh, they were Canadian, uh, and she was born in 1861, so she was born before, or right at the beginning of the, uh, uh, the, the no, um, the Civil War. <laughs> it's like, you know, that big thing happened in the 1860s, right? Uh, and so, which of course, I guess in the, in the church, there was a great awakening happened by that time, right? Uh, but the Civil War, and she died in, in 1942, I think about a year, uh, almost a year to the day after uh, Pearl Harbor. So Pearl Harbor, um, I guess, happened in, in 41, right? Uh, in December 7th, 1941. So, so she lived to be about 81 years old. And, um, uh, and so she was, uh, she, like her parents, became a medical doctor. Uh, and she was one of the first women to get a medical degree, medical degree from the University of Michigan. Um, and of course, you know, nowadays it's not a big deal for a woman to get uh, a medical degree, but back then it was, it was really unusual, right? Uh, and uh, I'm sure she had to deal with a lot of sexism and, oh, you, you, you know, you're a woman, you surely can't be smart enough to be a doctor, right? Uh, and so I'm sure she dealt with that. But I think her personality would have been just uh, not, she wouldn't have had any problem with that because uh, from what I've read about her, she was just this, uh, you know, type A personality, you know, in fact, uh, 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 Lester Summerall said uh, her personality was just go, go, go all the time. Uh, and he said she was always the life of the party, you know, just real outgoing. Uh, and, um, uh, and he had met her when he was about 20 years old. So uh, uh, if you ever get a chance, uh, uh, Lester Summerall wrote a book called Pioneers of Faith. And uh, he had the privilege to know personally uh, dozens and dozens of great men and women of God that did spectacular things. You know, he, he spent two years uh, visiting Smith Wigglesworth in his home uh, around, uh, I think it was World War II. Uh, and um, uh, he, when he was over in England, you know, he, he was an American, but he was over in England for a period of time. And, and he would go uh, and just visit uh, Smith, just knock on his door. And Smith would come in, you know, and Smith would say, let's pray. And I was like, okay. And they may pray for an hour, two hours. And they say, okay, you can leave now. Uh, and he said, he's just really gruff like that, but they developed a fondness and a, and a caring for each other. And he said, in all those years, uh, those two years that he visited him, you know, probably dozens of times, he said he never saw another visitor. You think about that. I mean, Smith was in his 80s, you know, by that time uh, and approaching the end of his life. Uh, and how much do you think he knew and saw? You know, 20, uh, between 20 and 30 people were raised from the dead under Smith's uh, ministry uh, by, by, by the working of miracles and special faith. He'd call their spirits back. You come back alive in the name of Jesus. Uh, and, and so he's operating in some of the, the power gifts that are, are pretty rare to see that in operation today. Uh, we, we see a lot of the gifts of healings in operation today. But as far as the working of miracles and, and um, special faith, which is typically what's needed to raise the dead, we don't see much of that, you know, in our, in our circles today, right? And we may hear some of that maybe overseas more, but uh, it's pretty rare. And Smith was operating that on a pretty regular basis, you know, and he would go to funerals sometimes and his wife would say, now, honey, he's dead. Don't be raising him from the dead, you know. Uh, we got lunch after this and, you know, we don't have time to be raising people from the dead. You know, I don't know what all she said, but, but, uh, uh, but he would go in there and just... Uh, if the Lord gave him the unction, he'd grab him up out of the, out of the casket, throw him against the wall and say, you know, come alive in the name of Jesus. And, 
Uh, and, um, you know, uh, people try things like that today to see if it works, you know, see if, you know, and, and it's, it, it, you know, of course it ends up not working, but, you know, uh, but if you're Smith, uh, you know, his, his mantra, the thing he said all the time, just only believe. He was only believe. He would just walk back and forth, back and forth on the stage sometimes and just say, only believe. Uh, and, and so uh, Lester had a, had a blessing to, to be with him and speak to him and stay, spend time with him uh, over these uh, years. And, uh, and before he, uh, at the end of those two years, the government said, well, you know, there's fixing to be a war. So right at the beginning of World War II, uh, if you're not a, 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 a Brit, you have to leave. And so he had to leave. And so there were tears, you know, of uh, sadness as he had to separate from, uh, from Smith. And so, but in his ministry, in Lester's ministry, he got to, got to know personally, you know, uh, a lot of these uh, uh, great men and women of God. Uh, and so, um, and he traveled around the world and, uh, with some of these people and he got to know uh, Lillian B. Yeomans. And so she prayed for him, laid hands on him uh, when he was about 20 years old and prophesied over him. Uh, and then uh, later on, he saw her again and, said, and she said, see, everything I told you was so, right? And so she was really bold, too. And, and so uh, he said that uh, uh, she remained young all of her life. Uh, but because of her personality, you know, uh, the Lord makes us, I believe, the way that we are. Right. And, and as long as we don't skew that and get that twisted in, into a way that's not uh, accurate or not the not God's plan, it's who we are. And we should be OK with that. Right. And that's one of the things I've had to learn over the years that. God has made me who I am, and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm not somebody else. I am who I am, amen? And God has made you who you are. And sometimes in the ministry, we, we think we, everybody needs to be the same. Uh, you know, it's okay. You know, Brother Hagen, he, he was not the life of the party. He was the guy who sat there in quiet, you know? Uh, and I remember watching Brother Hagen on TV one time. They were interviewing him. Now, he's, he's a prophet of God, right? Written, you know, dozens and dozens of books and sold millions of copies of, of his books and tapes around the world and moved moved the planet, you know, moved countries where they got a hold of faith and were able to overcome uh, things by faith. In fact, they, they came and testified him and said, you know, Brother Hagen, uh, they were talking about uh, like in Russia, uh, that when the when the wall fell uh, there in um, Germany, uh, they, they testified to Brother Hagen said it, it wasn't, you know, uh, it was the authority of the believer in that book and the revelation in that book that allowed us to, to cause that wall to fall because we started praying against that wall uh, because of the authority of the believer that, that you taught us in that book. Uh, and so, you know, uh, so how much you reckon Brother Hagen knew? He probably knew a lot, you know, and how much did he know that he didn't tell us? Well, I'm going to fuss at him for not telling us all the things that he knew when we get to heaven because, you know, there was things he knew he didn't tell us, no doubt. And, and so, uh, but uh, they were interviewing him and so they just were talking, you know, and so to ask him like one question, he'd answer it. And then they would spend 10, 15 minutes, you know, uh, monologuing. The, the interviewer would and not let Brother Hagen talk. And, and so uh, Brother Hagen, he was never under pressure. He'd just sit there, just just kind of let a little smile, you know, and not say anything. You know, they're, sitting, they're talking and talking and talking. Here, here he is, a prophet, the most, the, 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 the uh, probably the greatest prophet of our of our uh, lifetime, I believe, sitting there and they're doing all the talking. Well, if if the greatest prophet of, of your lifetime is sitting across the, the table from you, why are you saying anything, right? 
Uh, and uh, I've got a, a, a series of tapes from Brother Hagen from 1999 uh, that uh, he called all these wheels. I mean, if I mentioned all, all dozen of these uh, uh, people from, uh, from around the country that came to this meeting, uh, he wanted to have a discussion. This was 1999, so he died in 2003. Uh, he wanted to have a discussion about um, the role of prosperity in the church. And he said things have gotten out of balance. You know, at that time, there was a lot of weird, there's still a lot of weird things, but there were a lot of weird things like, well, you know, I'm the priest of the church, so you bring your tithes to me, right? So they don't belong to this ministry, they, they belong to me. And some churches believe that, the, that the, all the offerings belong to the pastor. Uh, and that's not really biblical, but, um, um, so they, but they do that. But why do they do that? Because it gets me more money, right? You know, follow the money. If you follow the money, you usually find out the, the truth of the doctrine, right? Uh, and, um, and that traveling ministers, you know, would say, well, you know, you send your tithes anywhere. You can send them to the, to the televangelist, send them to anybody. You don't have to give them to your local church. And, uh, well, who's going to come pray for you when you're sick? You're not going to call up a televangelist and say, hey, you know, can you stop buying your jet airplane at this, uh, uh, you know, at this rural airport, uh, rural hospital, pray for me. I've I'm, I'm got a little sniffle, you know. Are they going to do that? No. Uh, are they going to buy a chair for you to sit in when you come to church? No. I mean, you know, they're not going to do that. And so, you know, uh, Brother Hagen always taught, and I believe the Bible teaches that, that your tithes belong to the local church. And if you want to give offerings to anybody else, you're welcome to do that, right? You do whatever you want to do, but I'm going to follow what the Word says. I've always followed that with the Word. I've never sent my tithes off to a televangelist or any minister I knew. I've always given my tithes to my local church. Uh, and so he was trying to bring balance uh, a lot of things that, uh, had gotten out of balance in the bo body of Christ. And, you know, Brother Hagen, he said, uh, he said uh, in, in the, those messages, he said, you know, a lot of these things I saw back in the 30s and 40s, you know, they'll rise up for a while and people will get tired of the, of the fanaticism that that uh, represents and they'll walk away from it. And uh, it'll rise back up again because the love of money is the root of what? All evil, right? And so... There's always gimmicks and, and schemes and things about how to how to get more money out of your pocket, right? Uh, and um, uh, you know, and I've told you my philosophy about just about finances in the church. Even in churches, you know, the, the churches will have uh, fundraisers, and I'm not, you know, I'm not opposed to that. Uh, okay, I'm a little opposed to it, but uh, uh, but you know, they said, well, we need to have like uh, someone came to me in the church one time years ago and said, hey, we need to have like bake sales. Let's make some brownies and stuff. And we're right here on Market Street. We can just put them outside and we sell them for a dollar, you know, dollar a brownie, you know, costs us a nickel to make. We can sell them for a dollar. So it's a pretty good, pretty good return on your investment. And we'll use that to do things, right? We'll use it. Uh, and, you know, I'm thinking, well, why can't God just prosper you to give more money into the church, you know? Now, they didn't ask my opinion, you know, and, uh, and I'm thinking, well, if this is our church, why can't God prosper us? Why do we have to go get money from somebody else and bring it into the church, right? Now, I know a lot of times youth will do that. But they do a lot of times to encourage youth to come together and work together as a team. And so, you know, I'm not 100 percent opposed to that. But, uh, you know, I don't like the idea, uh, you know, someone comes up to me and says, I got to wait for the church to make more money. And then I'll go check their giving records. It's like, well, that's why, because they're not giving anything. So they wanted somebody else to give. Right. Well, you can get them to go give you money because I'm not going to give you any money, but go get them to give you some more money. Right. And it's like, well, OK, follow the money. Right. If you follow the money, then, you know. So the reason why they're trying to motivate me to get them guy, the guy over there to buy a brownie is because they're not willing to, to pay the equivalent of a brownie, you know. 
Uh, but anyway, you know, we're not here about prosperity. Maybe, you know, we, may, we probably ought to have a prosperity class too, right? We cover, uh, we, uh, I mean, we make devils mad for healing. Just how many devils make the church gets prosperous, right? And of course, we're prosperous. I mean, we paid off. We've got two buildings we paid for, you know, and, uh, and so we're doing, I think we're doing just fine, right? Uh, so anyway, so he had this gathering together of all these wheels. I mean, you know, big name ministers, right? All of them. I knew all of them. Uh, and um, so I'm listening to it. And I started making an observation. You know, he'd say something. And then I'd say, you know, Brother Hagin, that reminds me of something that happened to me, you know, t- uh, 10 years ago. We did this, 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 and this happened. And I'm thinking, why are you talking? Why are you saying anything? He called you to his office. You flew on your private jet to his office. Why are you saying anything? Uh, and I'm thinking, this man, you know, he, at, at, at uh, 1999, he was 82 years old. Uh, one year older than, than uh, Dr. Yeomans was when she passed. Uh, how much you reckon he knew? How much you reckon he could have said? And so there's five, there's five messages. It went over five hours or at least in length of time. And um, all these people are talking. I'm like, what? And, and you know what Brother Hagin was doing when they were talking? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't see him because it was audio, but I could see him, you know, because I know I, I've known Brother Hagin long enough to, to know. Just, he just let him talk, you know, let him talk. And that was it. Now, if he was Lillian B. Yeoman, she'd be like, shut up, I got something to say, right? Or, or you know, if it was, if it was Dr. Sumrall, he'd just probably cast the devil out. You know, we well, got a talking devil, I'm going to cast that out of you, you know. And, uh, but Brother Hagen, you know, he just, uh, and, and for, I, I tend to be more like Brother Hagen. You know, I'm, I could sit in a room, you know, and everybody talking to me, not say anything. I'd be perfectly fine with that, right? But she wasn't that way. Uh, and so, you know, Dr. Sumrall had, had, a, had a real blessing to uh, meet all of these great and men, women of God, uh, and so, uh, so he wrote that book called Pioneers of Faith, which is just a summary of a lot of these people's lives and ministries, and how he got to know them. Because of his stature in the in the body of Christ, he could go in and uh, like some of the uh, Jeffrey brothers. You know, there was two brothers that were, the Lord used in great and mighty ways, and and one of them in particular, God used uh, in the area of healing arthritis. You know, rheumatoid arthritis and which twists bodies up, right? You ever seen anybody severely uh, afflicted with, with arthritis? Their whole body gets twisted. And they can't stand up. You remember the woman uh, in the scriptures that she was bent over, right? And she probably had uh, some type of arthritis. Uh, and so uh, they would go and just command that arthritis to be gone. And they, they said you could hear it. You could hear the bones and joints popping and cracking as their bodies were straightened up. Uh, and, and in one particular meeting, they did that. Uh, and uh, the lady that was healed said, glory to God, and uh, thank God that I'm healed. And he said, don't thank God, I'm the one who did that. Which, you know, it's just never really smart to take any glory for anything. I mean, how, I mean if you raise the dead, what was your part in that, in that process? You breathed a little air. That was it. You didn't do anything. I mean, the power of God did all the work, right? Uh, and uh, that one particular brother, uh, you know what he died of? rheumatoid arthritis right he died of that arthritis and, and uh, Lester said that he went to go visit him and he was bent over double in his wheelchair uh, and, and he said uh, that he got on the ground just so he could see his face and talk to him that Lester Lester got down on the ground just so he could look up at this at this man's face because you know uh, e- even though he was wrong obviously in saying that the Lord still used him in mighty ways and he knew the Lord uh, and he repented, you know, but uh, but he couldn't find a way to forgive himself. And so he, he allowed himself to stay 
uh, in the sickness and died of that sickness. Uh, but he said he had the sweetest expression on his face because he knew what he had done and he knew how he had grieved the Spirit of God. Uh, and, and he found uh, the, the blessing of God after the repentance, but couldn't, couldn't find a way to, to forgive himself. And so he allowed himself to stay in that sickness and disease. God didn't put it on him. He opened the door for it. Uh, and so, so, uh, uh, and so a lot of these notes about uh, Dr. Yeomans came from his book about um, uh, pioneers of faith. Uh, and so uh, because of her personality type, you know, uh, 100% all the time, right? Uh, then she was driven to work all the time, you know, when she was a doctor. So she was a medical doctor for many years before she was uh, in the ministry. Uh, and, and so uh, to keep up with her schedule, she started taking morphine. Uh, and I think it's something else. She said that uh, chloral hydrate, which is some type of a, a sedative. So she, she'd take morphine to stay awake and, 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 and chloral hydrate to go to sleep. Uh, and so, you know, uh, when you got to take a pill to wake up and take a pill to go to go to sleep, you know, that that's a lot of stuff right there. Right. Uh, and of course, being a medical doctor, she could, uh, of course, this is back. So, so she was born in 1861. So, you know, you're talking about uh, not 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 many regulations about medications. Right. I mean, if you go read the history of medics, medicine in America and the world, it, it's horrifying. Right. What they used to do, you know. Oh, uh, in fact, uh, uh, I think, uh, wasn't it uh, Alexander the Great died because uh, they gave him mercury? Well, this will probably help. Let's use mercury, you know, because it's cool. It looks cool. It's got to help, right? And, of course, what did we find out later? Well, mercury will kill you, right? Remember, anybody play with mercury as a kid? Break open a, therm a, a thermometer and play with a mercury? It's a poison. I mean, it's, it's horrible. You know, you don't do it, right? Now you can even buy it. I don't think you can even buy it. It's all those red liquids, right? It's basically alcohol now. Uh, but uh, but back then it used to be mercury because it, it worked good in, in uh, thermometers. And then you stick that thing in your mouth, right? <laughs> Let's stick this mercury in your mouth and and because uh, this will probably help, right? And leeches, leech, you know, let, let's go, let's go, let some blood out, you know. Uh, and you reckon there's any germs and viruses in a leech? That's as he's, uh, uh, I mean, it's crazy things, right? And so she could get access to these things without much trouble. Now you've got 16 pages of paperwork just to get an aspirin, right? Uh, and, and then they're going to charge you $100 per aspirin, right? I mean, you know, uh, and so, well, you know, is it, is it, can I just go to, to Walgreens to get an aspirin? What's well, the same thing? We're just going to charge you $100 here for it, right? Uh, and so, so she had access to uh, morphine and uh, the chloral hydrate. And, you know, the problem, of course, we know now today that those things are very addictive, right? Uh, morphine is very addictive. Uh, and uh, anybody remember, you know, just even in our uh, last few years, all the uh, uh, opioids, you know, all, all the uh, pain relievers uh, that people have been addicted to. And they've arrested people and, and sued people and fined people. Doctors that would just give, because, uh, I mean, you could go to the doctor and say, my toe aches, you know, here, here have some high-powered pain medicine that's going to get you addicted to it. And then you've got to go back to the doctor, you know, and, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't know. You know, were they getting paid off by the by the because uh, some of them were getting paid off by by the uh, by the medical by the by the pharmaceuticals. Right. Uh, because you get you get addicted to it. And I heard that those pills are like 20 bucks a pill on, on the on the uh, uh, on the open market there uh, it, because you get addicted to it. And once you get it, you know, I'm not trying to sell anything, you know, just, you know, just <laughs> at, we'll, we'll have some on the back table, though, you know. Because we're going to raise some money. We need to get some more money to you know, do something. And so we're, gonna, we're not really doing that. That's completely... I don't even have any pain medicine. So don't come to my house. 
and so I did take, I think, one, one, uh, one pain medicine years ago. It's probably 20 years ago. I think the last pain, med- pain pill I took. Uh, and I took it, and, and my brain, you know how your brain gets fuzzy? You know, some people, that's a normal state, right? That's not my normal state. So my brain went from where it is to fuzzy, and I don't like it being fuzzy. And I'm never doing this again, so I've never taken another pain pill since then because I don't like my, my brain being fuzzy. But that's, people like doing that, right? People like, that's why they smoke marijuana, right? That's why they drink alcohol. It takes the edge off. I like having an edge. I like being right on the edge all the time. I don't like this, you know, dude, what's going on? You know, I don't, I don't like, you know, I, I like to be sharp and clear-minded, right? But some people don't like that because they don't control their mind. And so they, they, want, their mind to, they want their mind to be dull. Uh, and so, now she wasn't taking it for that reason, to hide and to, and to, to not uh, live in reality. She did that so it could drive her personality, right? Because it's still her personality to be 100%. So she was using this medication to, to maintain uh, her personality. Uh, and so, uh, but then it, it, she got addicted to it. Uh, and, you know, of course, if you've read the first chapter, you know, she talks a lot about that. And, and even through the rest of her books and other things, she, she go back, goes back and revisits that. Uh, she spends a lot of time talking about how she went to the, uh, um, uh, the, the Christian scientists. Uh, and, and um, you know, it sounds good, but just because it's got the word Christian in it doesn't mean it's actually Christian, right? It, you know, it, it, uh, people can say anything, right? Uh, the Christian scientists, their, their philosophy... Uh, is that uh, it goes back to Adam, right? You, you remember when Adam was created uh, and, and uh, then God was going to uh, create Eve, what did, what did God do for Adam to, before he created Eve? He put him to sleep, right? Okay, so we know that he put him to sleep, but where in the Bible does it say that he actually caused him to wake up? Well, it doesn't say he woke up, so really Adam's been asleep all this time, and so actually right now we're all in a dream. So that's their philosophy, right? That God, Adam never woke up. Now, that's really dumb, right? I mean, isn't that dumb? It's dumb, right? It didn't make up stuff, right? So, so, and when we wake up, then we'll know what reality is. So right now, right now we're, none of us are in reality. We're all in a dream state. Well, isn't that dumb? I mean, people just, you know, just make up stuff, right? And why do they do that? Get a following and to get some money, right? Uh, and so, but their philosophy is that since we're all in a dream, reality is completely subject to whatever we think and so if if uh, if we have a pain then all we have to do is just okay then i don't have a pain right so i just change the reality by what i think uh and that's that's the basic of the philosophy of the christian scientists is that since we're all in a dream state we're all in a in an, in an unrealistic environment that uh, we can just change what we think, just like in a dream, right? If you're having a dream and, you know, the monster's chasing you, you can just, well, there's no monster, right? And, of course, the monster goes away because it's your dream, right? Uh, and so, so she, got, she got involved in that too, right? She got involved in the Christian scientists because people are always looking for an easy way out, right? They're always looking for, uh, uh, well, when I say easy, easy uh, for faith, right? It may be super difficult in the flesh, but we're okay with that. Uh, uh, and that's been an, always an odd thing in reviewing a lot of these things that people a lot of times will, will go to the ends of the world in the natural realm to try to find something that if they could just spend a little time in the spirit realm, they could get it. But, but, but in their mind, uh, obtaining faith is way more difficult than swimming an ocean. 
Uh, and so because they don't want to spend the time in the word of God. And really, uh, the, the root of it is they don't want to submit to the Lord. So they want to do what they want to do, how they want to do it, uh, and not submit to anything. And, and they will spend whatever money they have to still maintain their free will to not yield to the Lord. Uh, and they'll do that for many times. And, and, and so, but then, you know, sometimes then you get like Dr. Yeomans. And it wasn't so much that as it was, uh, I mean, she did have some general doubt and unbelief, uh, but it was more that she just didn't know. Uh, and so she got addicted, went to the Christian scientists. Uh, they tried to help. So we'll just, it's not real. Your addiction is not real because you're living in a dream state. So just, just change your mind and then it'll go away, right? Now, see, that's different than what, what the, the Bible tells us to, James tells us to, to resist the devil, right? So we're not saying, see, the Christian scientists, they flip uh, Romans 4, 17, uh, right? Uh, in fact, I guess we just read that Romans. We know that verse there, right? Uh, so they, they flip the word of God. Uh, and um, in Romans 4, 17, at the end of the verse, it says, talking about God, that God calleth those things which be not as though they were. So the Christian scientists flip that verse, right? They call those things which be as though they were not. Well, I'm not really addicted to morphine, right? So, so they're denying reality. Uh, and so uh, the Lord does not deny reality. He supersedes reality with faith. So uh, the Christian scientists try to change reality by denying reality, uh, which is kind of a catch-22, right? But that's not how the, the Lord operates. So... Uh, James told, tells us that we can just resist the devil and he'll flee from us. So we, we recognize, we acknowledge the devil is there and we say, but we're, we're choosing to not yield to that. Uh, and so you can do that with symptoms. You can do that with sickness and disease. I resist the sickness and disease. You're not, a, you're not denying the reality or the existence of the sickness and disease. You're just denying its continuing operation in your life. Uh, and so, so they told her, if you can just get your mind renewed enough to the fact that this physical world is a myth, then, uh, then you just change it, right? Which is, what, what's amazing to me is that more than one person believed that. Because there'd be no Christian scientist unless two people believe that philosophy, right? Uh, I mean, people have crazy ideas all the time, but nobody follows them because they're crazy ideas. But somehow, because somebody maybe in a suit and a tie said it, or somebody flashy or somebody with money says these things, I mean, you know, then you got Scientology, right? I mean, uh, crazy, you know, I mean, that's just made up stuff, right? Uh, and, um, but you got all these highfalutin Hollywood people that are following th this philosophy, right? Uh, and, uh, you, I mean, Book of Mormons, you know, I mean, you know, I've always, uh, you know, I'm not mad at anybody, but uh, I think these super educated, high-powered people follow up to Mormonism. It's like, have you ever actually read the Book of Mormons, you know? And, I mean, the, the weird stuff that's in there? Or it's like that they do with anything, and, and, but people follow it. Because people are always looking for an easy way out, looking for a way that I don't have to submit to God. I can do what I, whatever I want to. And using your tricks over here without submitting to God, I can still get what I want. Uh, and, and the Lord says, you know, uh, you can have everything that I have. I just want you. I want I want your life. You have to call me Lord. Um, and that's a great struggle of mankind. You know, we, we will do anything we have. We will do anything that that the world tells us to do. Uh, as long as we don't have to call anybody else Lord. As long as I get to call myself Lord, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And that's really the issue is, uh, uh, is men do not want to submit to the Lord. 
men want to be their own God. Uh, and uh, the problem is when they die, how well you think it's going to work out for them. Well, I'm my own God. And the devil will be like, uh, get in line, buddy. Uh, you're, you're a long line of, of false gods, right? Uh, me being the, the chief one. Uh, and so, so I don't know how many years she, she was under uh, that, uh, uh, that addiction to the morphine, but it says in 1898, so by that time, she's, what, 37 years old? So she's, you know, in the prime of her life uh, there uh, being addicted to morphine. And she talked about how, you know, for days she'd be uh, on a deathbed almost, just, you know, nearly uh, just skin and bones uh, from this morphine because uh, you ever seen people that are addicted to drugs? You know, they don't eat, they don't sleep. You know, their bodies waste away. Uh, and these, you know, uh, you see people that uh, that get addicted to like uh, uh, meth today, right? And meth is a horrible, uh, devilish substance that uh, uh, people get. Uh, in fact, I remember when I was working in uh, jail ministry, they said whenever we get somebody in jail that that's been addicted to, to uh, meth, uh, that uh, uh, they don't even send them to any kind of rehab. They just make them sweat it out because they said, unless they've been free from that for at least a year. They can go to rehab all day long, but because it's so addictive that um, that they'll go right back into it. So they said there's no there's no need. Of course, that, you know, may, things may have changed since then, uh, but they said there was no need uh, to uh, to continue with that or to to get them involved in that. And Brother Randy uh, said that uh, you know years ago uh, he used to have like a halfway house or something that people get out of prison from drugs and and that kind of things, and, and he would have you know classes they would attend and. Uh, and uh, he said if he helped anybody, he doesn't know. After all those years, you know, and tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably maybe even millions of dollars, because he said it was like $18,000 a month to maintain that organization to help these people. And he said if he helped anybody, he doesn't know, because that addiction is so strong, right? And unless you're willing to, to change who your Lord is, then that thing will be your Lord, right? And that's the thing that, that uh, you know, for me, in all of these discussions is who's your Lord, right? If, if that, that drug is your Lord, then that's your Lord. That's who you serve, right? If that alcohol is your Lord, then that's who you serve. Well, I can't give up alcohol. Well, then that's your Lord, right? If that sin is your Lord, then that's your Lord, right? Well, I can't give that up. Well, then that's your Lord. Bow down and worship it. Make a little fat Buddha idol about it, you know, and, and go uh, worship it every day. Uh, and of course, and I understand sometimes that you get involved in these things uh, like, morphine like she did and even something like cigarettes which won't kill you immediately right uh, but they'll just kill you eventually right uh, and so uh, uh, but once your body gets addicted to it overcoming that you know and she talked a lot about that in the first chapter that her you know, she she said you could say whatever you want to about willpower she said willpower is not strong enough to overcome these devils uh, once it gets a hold of your body and your body demands access to that thing whatever it is, then uh, unless you're just an exceptional person, uh, you know, if you're just you're kind of your average person, you're not going to overcome that just by sheer willpower, right? And how many people have, have stopped quitting uh, cigarette smoking a thousand times? And they keep going back to it, right? Whatever addiction that you've got, how many times have you quit doing it? Well, the issue is, you know, really, uh, if you want to get out of it, the first thing you should do is, is to repent for having something else as your God. Uh, now, you didn't plan on it. It wasn't a goal of life. Well, I'm going to have something else as my God. It just happened. But now you've got something else as a God, right? And the Lord said, uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And now you have something that you can't say no to. 
Uh, and so that's your God, right? And that may not be your all-encompassing God, uh, but it's still your God, right? Uh, and so one, one good first step is to repent for having something else as your God, right? Doesn't mean you're going to die and go to hell, uh, but if you're smoking cigarettes, you probably, you know, I mean, you can, can you go to heaven and still smoke cigarettes? Well, sure you can. You know, you just might get there early and smell a little bad, but, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, it, it's, uh, and look, I'm not mad at you if you smoke cigarettes, right? I don't, I don't it's none of my business. That's between the Lord Jesus, right? Uh, it's just, uh, I mean, you know it's bad for you, right? I mean, how many different things to tell you is bad for you, right? And people still do it. It's like, to me, that's the most amazing thing is in 2021, people still go and start and smoke cigarettes. It's like, why would you do that? I mean, back in the day, everybody smoked cigarettes. You know, I remember growing up, everybody smoked cigarettes. You know, everyone in my house, you walk in, it was like a fog. You know, it wasn't the glory of God. It was, I mean, just fog machine. Everybody in my house. And, and they smoked the high octane stuff, the camels, you know, the, you know just, uh, I mean, it just, uh, and I'd watch it. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd be so fast. And I have never even taken a single drag of a cigarette ever in my life, right? But I used to watch my dad. He'd have cigarettes there and he'd have the yellow fingernails. And I'd watch that, that smoke just, you know, I was just fascinated by how the smoke would, would, would come off that cigarette and go up and the, turn the, you know, ceilings yellow. And, uh, and, and um, uh, they just, everybody smoked, right? Uh, I mean, uh, talking about second hand, I had second hand, third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand. <laughs> You know, I don't know how many hands there were in my, in my family, but there was a lot of hands in there. And it's not going to affect me at all, right? To, you know, well, you're going to die of secondhand smoke. I'm not going to die. I'm going to die of, of uh, secondhand Bible, right? Uh, and uh, actually, it's firsthand Bible, but uh, uh, when, the, when uh, I have uh, lived a long and satisfying life. Uh, and so, uh, so she got addicted to it. So, you know, there's no condemnation about it because people make stupid mistakes all the time. Some of our stupid mistakes, nobody will know except for us. Some of our stupid mistakes, it becomes obvious when we become addicted to, to these things. So you should never condemn somebody. Oh, you look at them smoking cigarettes, you know. Uh, I mean, how many preachers have, have sent people to hell because of smoking cigarettes? Uh, you know, and the, the first one usually should, the thing that's amazing to me about cigarettes is you take the first drag and you nearly die of, of uh, you know, choking and gagging, right? I mean, I've, like I said, I've never smoked a cigarette, but, but I've heard stories, people, you know, uh, and that's usually a good way for parents to cure the kids wanting to smoke is go let them take the big, biggest drag ever and then they get death, you know, deathly sick uh, and then they go back. I mean, that's, just, that's the dumb part. Okay, do it again. Why would you do that again? You know, that made you sick as a dog. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, sometimes peer pressure causes you to do it or, you know, want to be cool or hip. I mean, it used to be cool to smoke, right? All the cool, cool people on TV had cigarettes, you know. Uh, we was watching Andy Griffith the other day. He pulled out a cigarette, started smoking, right? He only took two drags. It was like, Andy, I can't believe you're smoking. What's wrong with you, you know? Uh, and so, uh, yeah, he didn't know any better. Uh, and so, but, but it just tells you, you know, some people think, well, there's nothing wrong with experimenting. You know, if it's wrong, just don't even bother with it. If it's going to kill you, why even try it, you know? Uh, and that, that's the thing that, uh, you know, we, and, and that's really for me growing up, I wasn't born again or anything, I just looked around and go, wow, you guys all smell bad, you know, and all you smokers, you know, and you spend, you know, you used to be like uh, uh, two bucks a cigarette pack, you know, there's 20 cigarettes in a cigarette pack, so it's like 10 cents a, a, a cigarette. I'm doing the math, you know, I'm just a kid doing the math, you know, it's like, well, that's not kind of expensive, right? Now, you know, a carton of cigarettes, you know, you have to get like a mortgage on your house, right, and, and do that. People don't even do, people don't even buy uh, cartons of cigarettes anymore. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, my mom used to go to the grocery store. She'd bring back a carton of cigarettes, a carton, right? So they'd smack, smoke two or three packs a day. Uh, and, um, uh, and I mean, nowadays it costs 
uh, who knows how much money I'm, I'm not really up on my, my economics of smoking anymore, but, uh, uh, but it, it was expensive. It's expensive to do these things, right? Uh, and, and, you know, it's funny because people sometimes want to come to the church and say, hey, you need to help me with some finances. Okay, well, how much money are you spending a year on smoking? Well, I don't want to talk about that. Well, but you want me to give you money, but you're spending hundreds of dollars on smoking every year, right? Uh, and, uh, but you still want me to give you money, right? And so uh, that, that conversation doesn't always go over real well. But, uh, and so, but in 1898, she received her healing from John Alexander Dowie. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you've ever followed uh, much of uh, John Alexander Dowie's ministry, but he was an Australian uh, and uh, got the revelation of healing during the, during the plague. I think it was the, the Black Plague or Bubonic Plague, and people were just dying everywhere. Uh, in fact, uh, I think, let's see, do I have that in, in my notes here? If not, I have to, I'll go get that from you. Um, uh, and and uh, I wrote down, um, maybe it was in, in our, um, our, let me see if I can find it here real quick. Uh, look up in, in that quotes of value, see if there's one from, from uh, John Alexander Dowie there uh, that he said something. But, but basically, you know, the, the doctors were saying, hey, you know, uh, isn't, the, isn't God strange how he operates? And he said the anger of the Lord just rose up in him. God didn't do this. Uh, and, and he got the revelation in that moment about God's healing power and had a spectacular healing ministry. Uh, but he suffered a lot of persecution because of that. Is there anything in, in, in that? Yeah, okay. Um, I'll have to find out about the story about the, um, John Alexander Dowie, about, about what he said about that. But just ang- anger of the Lord rose up about how people were, were saying that God is putting this, this uh, black plague on people. And so uh, he started there in Australia and then ended up going all over the world and eventually settling uh, in, um, uh, in the United States in Illinois, right, around Chicago area. Uh, anybody ever heard of Zion, Illinois? Uh, he, he, he established Zion, Illinois, uh, and uh, he created the city, and it's supposed to be a utopian city, but the problem with that, as soon as you get people involved in it, it becomes terrible, right? Uh, and so, I mean, you can go to Zion, Illinois now, and, and I'm sure there'll be almost no mention of John Alexander Dowie, who, who's, to... oh, really? <laughs> Went from John Alexander, uh, healing power of God to Wiccan, huh, to witches. Uh, that's really sad. Uh, and so, uh, but, you know, at the, at the end of his life, he got really cro- uh, 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 crossways with the word of God. Started thinking he was Elijah. You know, he wore this big funny Elijah hat. You know, I don't know where you go to get, I mean, is there like an Elijah hat store? I don't know, but he wore this big hat, you know, kind of looked like the Pope. Uh, and um, uh, started saying he was Elijah and, and really got off in his, uh, in his doctrine. Uh, and, and part of it was, you know, maybe because of the, the level of persecution he had, because he had a real strong personality. Uh, and... Um, uh, and so at one point in time, Lillian B. Yeomans uh, didn't know, her middle name is Barbara, in case you're wondering, uh, didn't know uh, uh, Dowie pretty well, but then he got kind of uh, crossways in his doctrine about women preachers, you know, and even preached against her some. And, uh, uh, and so, uh, so it's unfortunate, but, you know, back in the day, she was able to get healed through his ministry, right? Uh, and so she got delivered from morphine. Uh, and, um, uh, and so, uh, after that, then she, she preached, you know, all of the United States and Canada. Uh, so apparently she was Canadian, uh, which we're not going to hold that against her. Right. So Canadian people are all right. Right. Uh, and so, you know, my folks were Canadian. And so, uh, she ended up, uh, 
teaching at Amy Simple McPherson's Bible School there in California before, uh, before she passed. And I think she stayed there really most of the rest of her life there. Uh, and she never married uh, and um, uh, just preached the gospel. And, and really her and her sister, she, you hear a lot about her sister in the books here about what they did. And, and they had this, uh, I think they call it the healing house. And so they'd bring in terminal people uh, into this healing house. Uh, and, uh, you know, they would pray for them. But most of what they would do is they would minister the word of God to them. And that was their medicine. They would, they would uh, you know, you got to read this right here. You got to read this right here. Read this right here. Or they'd go and read the word of God to them. Uh, and you really just used, uh, you know, how the Bible talks about the, the word of God is, is medicine to all of our flesh, right? And so they kind of took that to heart, that it really is medicine to all of our flesh. Uh, and so they, you, you could go if you were, if you were, you know, you had to be processed to get into the house there. Uh, but if you, got, if you got into the house, then they had uh, spectacular stories of, of miracles that went on in that, in that house there over the years. Uh, and so uh, now, uh, so she died, what, 1942, right? So she was, so she was a doctor in the late 1800s early 1900s and of course once she got um, fully delivered she she didn't really practice medicine after that she was mostly in the ministry but she used her knowledge of medicine to help people a lot and so uh, how much more do we know about medicine than she knew you know 120 years ago probably a few things right so you'll see a few terms that she says that we don't really use those terms anymore about different types of sicknesses and diseases and even her understanding of some medical things you know, we might have more understanding nowadays than, than she had, you know, 120 years ago. Uh, and so, you know, take everything she says, you, you know, with a grain of salt, you know, that, that uh, well, you know, might not want to do that today, right? Uh, if, if she's not really giving me any medical advice, but she does mention some things that help people are worked out, you know. Uh, but how many of us knew about cod liver oil, oil growing up, right? You know what another name for that is, right? Snake oil, right? Uh, it cures everything, right? Uh, uh, and, um, uh, and, you know, you had to, you could only sell it in a wagon, right? Being pulled by a, by a mule or something. And, uh, and, um, uh, and so there's a lot of those remedies like that growing up that, uh, uh, you know, you don't ever hear about anymore, right? What, what were some other things like cod liver oil? And there was, ca- uh, yeah, well, it does have some uses, right? But I mean, it would cure everything from, you know, brain cancer to, you know, hair in your toes it, it'd be uh, and you know and that's usually what happens it, it probably started as something that actually could work in some ways right uh but not uh, uh not for everything right so anyway so just just be be aware that you know she is a medical doctor and she does talk about some medical things uh and some of those things uh um, i mean she even talks about tuberculosis right of course now tuberculosis is essentially cured right it's, i mean you still hear about it on a rare occasion but uh, back then in her time you know, they didn't have cures for polio, no cures for tuberculosis, right? No cures for a, a lot of things. Uh, now that, and we've got the cures for all of these things, right? Smallpox, chickenpox, all those vaccines that we've got now. Uh, so we've really gone through a lot of those things and cured a lot of those things. And, and uh, they're not even an, an issue anymore. Uh, but the, they, they were still dealing with them in the late 1800s, early, four, early 1900s, right? Uh, so just be aware of the context uh, of that as we go through the book there. Uh, but she, but she has a lot of good things to say. So so that that that's uh, that's just an introduction to her, uh, uh, and um, uh, she was well known in the circles of faith. Traveled all over the country, uh, really mostly in North America, uh, and um, had a great healing ministry. Uh, and like I said, her book is more of a flavor of an exhorter 
of somebody who believes in healing and, uh, uh, you know, she's not going through a bunch of uh, Greek and Hebrew stuff. She's not going through, you know, she doesn't have 27 scriptures for everything she says. Uh, uh, she just maybe reference one verse and then talk a lot after that, right? And that's fine, right? There's nothing wrong with that because that's her revelation of what the Lord has spoken to her, amen? Uh, and so, so um, we'll, we'll um, continue on in that. Uh, next week, we'll start on the very first chapter there about healing from heaven. So that's the first book of the four. Uh, and like I said, these chapters will typically go uh, quite a bit faster than uh, with uh, Brother Bosworth's book. And so uh, we may get through this whole book a lot quicker. We'll see how that goes. Amen. No promises at all, of course. Um, so, uh, all right. And then uh, we'll, get the, we'll get a um, um, uh, study guide for you out just as soon as we can on that as well. And so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. And, Father, we thank you for blessing us and increasing us. And, Father, we thank you for the things that you've shown men and women of old, Father, that, that you have spoken to them by revelation and they they wrote the words precious words from heaven down for our benefit for our admonition father and so lord we can take the revelation that you gave to them and apply it to our lives and so we thank you father for the great uh, amount of information that you gave to these people father for our blessing and we thank you for that father we give you the praise and the honor for it, lord in jesus name amen all right praise god well is the lord good He's good. So I think you'll enjoy, the, uh, enjoy these uh, four mini books here and um, we'll get a, a lot out of that. And, and, you know, some of that has gone through things. Now, you know, it's not required for me to become an addict to help addicts. Right. Uh, and so uh, there, there is a fallacy sometimes in the body of Christ that that unless I'm an addict, I can't help addicts. Right. And, and so poor old Jesus, he was unqualified to help anybody. How much sin did he ever live in? Right. None. How much sickness and disease did he ever walk through? None. How much sin did he ever commit? None. So then he couldn't help anybody, right? Uh, no, that's not true, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I know sometimes people go through tragic things in their life and they think, well, because I've gone through that, now I have to have to help other people that have gone through the tragic. That's why Brother Randy got involved in those things to help drug addicts and, and uh, thieves and robbers because he was a drug addict, a drug addict and a thief and a robber, you know? And he found out, you know, this ain't going so good, you know. And so, <laughs> because that's what the world says. You know, you, you have, they, they put you in a box, amen. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, to be honest, we'll get ready to receive the offering here in a minute. And to be honest, people have kind of implied to me because I didn't, I, I wasn't a big smoker growing up, you know, that uh, um, I can't help people that, that are smoking. Well, that ain't so, right? Uh, and just because, I, you know, I didn't live this horrible, sinful lifestyle, who can I help? I can help anybody. I've got the word of God. I can change anybody's life. The word of God will change any circumstance, any situation. I don't have to have lived, you know, I don't have to walk a mile in your shoes. Why would I do that? You've already walked a mile. I'm just going to take the bus, right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. That's dumb, right? Uh, why am I going to walk? I got a bus right over there, right? Uh, and so. Yeah. 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 Right. 
make my body reject it. And, you know, I've heard plenty of stories like that where people have prayed, Lord, make this thing, make my body reject this thing, right? Have a, have a negative reaction to this thing, and, and, that, and that will help motivate you to stop doing it, right? Uh, and so come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. And, you know, the other day I, I was uh, working outside, and um, I was just sitting there talking to somebody, and this, this wasp came over there and landed on my thumb and stung me, you know, which is really disrespectful, right? Uh, and so... Uh, it, it didn't survive the rest of the day, right? Uh, and so, but as I was talking to this person, they said, well, let it come out. I know there's a bad word in there, one to come out. I said, you know, there's, there's no bad words in there to come out. If, so if there's no bad words in there to come out, then they don't have to come out, right? I'm not suppressing the bad words. And, and the thought never crossed my mind, you know, to say blankety blank, you know, blank, you know, wasp. You know, you know, really what I'm thinking is, how dare you? I'm a child of the living God. Yeah. You know, you are way out of order stinging me, you know. Uh, you can sting that guy over there, but, you know, you know it's not going to sting me. Uh, and so, you know, he, he, uh, he, he was disrespectful to the authority of the Lord uh, and paid the price for it, too, you know. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so anyway, so, you know, you can get to a point where it's not on the inside of you, right? And so I don't have to have been a big cusser to help people that are cussed, right? Uh, and so, uh, because uh, it, that would be unbiblical, amen? I have the power of God living on the side of me. So we'll pick that up next week. Be blessed. Have a wonderful week, and Lord, you're dismissed.